And this morning we're looking at James chapter 5, uh, the first six verses. And so that's what we'll read uh, this morning. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your heart, your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. <clears throat> A gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you, Lord, for your word. We know that your word is truth. That it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we uh, come to this passage this morning, we pray that your spirit would truly give us understanding and insight that the truth that is uh, revealed here uh, would be um, communicated to us uh, clearly uh, and in such a way uh, to be able to uh, equip us, to challenge us, and encourage us, to convict us, and to uh, help us to glorify your holy name that as we seek to bear fruit for your glory. We ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, the disparity between the rich and the poor has always been a, a point of contention. Right? The rich and the powerful, the ruling class versus the poor peasants. The haves versus the have-nots. The 1% versus the 99%. Well, if the former isn't taking advantage of and oppressing the latter, the latter is often jealously plotting the plundering and overthrow of the former. And so there's this constant tension between the two. And at the root of the problem isn't wealth and money per se, but the root of the problem is how the sinful hearts of men and women view that wealth and money. And so the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 that it is the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. And so it doesn't matter whether you have it or you don't. Both sides can fall prey to this great temptation. Yet... More often than not, it tends to be a particular stumbling block for the haves, for the rich, for those who do have the money. And so much so that Jesus warns in uh, Matthew 19, he says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And of course, that is an impossible thing for a camel to go through the eye of the, of the needle. But in the context of Jesus is sharing this, he uh, follows this up with, uh, by saying that, but with God, all things are possible. And so what's impossible to us is not impossible to God. And so 
He's not saying here that the rich can never enter the kingdom of God, but it's only possible, even as anyone, salvation is only possible by the power and the grace and the mercy of God. But the rich are especially challenged. Well, in our passage today, James shows us some of the reasons as to why it's so difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And chiefly, it's because they often misuse the wealth that they've been given instead of using it to love their neighbors and to give glory to God. James begins saying, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. And James has been very graphic and, and pointed before in his charges, but this is really perhaps the most severe. But who exactly are the rich? Are they those who are inside the church or those who are outside the church? We know that James hasn't been shy about uh, sharply condemning those inside the church. He's already called them adulterers, sinners, and double-minded. And his emphasis at those times was, of course, to challenge them to conform their lives to their faith that they profess. You also know that back in chapter 1, verse 10, he urged the rich brother to glory in his humiliation. Right? It was a brother, and it was a brother who was rich, to glory in his humiliation. That is, to acknowledge his humble position before the Lord. And so it's possible that James, in chapter 5, is once again fiercely charging rich believers. But it's also possible, and even quite likely, that he could be speaking of those outside the church who've been oppressing the mostly poor believers inside the church. And one of the reasons that many contend that this speaks of those outside the church is that James is severely condemning these rich people without calling them to repentance. We see this in the language of verse 1, that James tells them to weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Now this weeping, and especially the howling, indicate a, a painful crying out. Right? Think of, a, of the kind of yelp that you make when you uh, severely stub your toe, or, or you hit your, your thumb with a hammer, and then magnify that a hundredfold. Right? That's the, the, the weeping and the crying out that, is, that he's talking about here. And it's a big difference from the call to repentance that James issued, for example, to the proud back in chapter 4, verse 9, when he said, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. There the proud were called to grieve for their sin. But the rich here are actually being called to prepare for the pain of judgment that is surely coming upon them. <clears throat> and though these rich were mostly outside the church, we do know that they sometimes did visit the assembly of believers. Again, James warned the believers earlier about showing favoritism to the rich at the expense of the poor. Even questioning back in chapter 2, uh, saying, Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do not they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? He said, why, why are you showing favoritism when they come into your assembly? When they're blaspheming the Lord and they oppress you and they drag you into court. And so it's possible 
that there were rich who were attending the assemblies, even as they do today, right? Many people, uh, you know, rich people, wealthy people attend church for the, the social status and to give an appearance of having some kind of religion, right? It's maybe socially acceptable to uh, attend a church. But such religion we know is worthless because they aren't minding the poor nor taking care of the widows and orphans as Paul or as um, James charged back in chapter 1. And so whether these rich were actually members of the church, whether they were just adherents or those on the outside, the charge to them is the same. Prepare for coming pain and misery in the judgment. Now James readers, and perhaps even we ourselves, may finally be able to breathe a sigh of relief, right? Whew. Okay, after all these hard and difficult challenges that James has placed before his fellow believers, finally, that he's directing his pointed pen at someone else. Right? If you're not rich, well then what James is saying here doesn't really apply to you, right? Well, not necessarily. Though you may not be rich... It doesn't mean that what James is writing has nothing to say to you. No, in fact, for the poor and working class believers to who James is likely writing, and even for us here, there is much that we can glean from this. Both words of comfort as well as words of caution. It gives comfort in that the oppressed are reminded that the Lord is mindful of them. And he's aware of their suffering and their plight. He isn't ignoring their pleas for mercy and justice, but he graciously hears their cries and he's ready to defend and to, to deliver them. And as James noted earlier, God's special concern is for the orphans and the widows, those who are most vulnerable, those who are uh, the most poor, the most needy in society. God truly is the defender of those who are defenseless. And this warning to the rich... <clears throat> then is a, is a way to show that God is mindful of those who are poor and needy. <clears throat> but it also serves to give comfort to the poor and the oppressed because they can be assured that God will not only hear their prayers, but he will surely act and administer justice in due time. The psalmist assures us in Psalm 72, For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also in him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence and precious shall be their blood in his sight. <clears throat> we see that there's comfort here in knowing that God's justice will ultimately surely prevail. And so those to whom James is writing would be greatly comforted as, as James reminds them of these great truths. And we too, if we find ourselves being oppressed, if we find ourselves uh, having a little or nothing, if we find ourselves being taken advantage of by others, we too can find comfort in knowing that God is gracious to hear our prayers for help and that He will ultimately administer perfect justice. But for these poor and oppressed, for the middle class, and even for us, there's also to be found here some words of caution 
of which we need to be mindful. We should be cautioned, first, about being envious of the riches of the wealthy, because we know what the end will be of those who are consumed with their wealth. Asaph, uh, in Psalm 73, confesses this, and saying, For I was envious of the boastful, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they played like other men. It's a great temptation for the righteous to look around and be envious of the wealth and the prosperity of the wicked. We we go through trials and troubles and we may struggle in our lives, but we look around people who are living a completely godless lives and they, they have everything they could possibly need from a worldly perspective. And, and it's a great temptation to be envious of them and say, well, I want some of that. Why are they being blessed or appear to be blessed and I'm suffering and I'm, I'm being challenged and I'm, I'm struggling to make ends meet? Right? That's a great temptation for the righteous. And that's what this warning to the rich cautions us against. But as the psalmist mentions here, we need to be reminded of the passing glory of the riches of this earth. And we also need to be reminded of the certain end of those who would pursue riches in this life to the neglect of pursuing God and His truth and His righteousness. They are but a vapor. And what they have and possess, and even they themselves, will quickly fade away. And so we need to be cautioned about being envious of the prosperity of the wicked. A second caution is related, in that these words should caution us that we don't have to be wealthy in order to misuse what the Lord has given to us. And so again, uh, the concerns that James raises here, though they may be particular to, uh, to the rich and a particular snare to the rich, well, they can also easily ensnare and be a temptation to any one of us. Especially when we consider that even the poorest among us, even the poorest in our nation, is still quite rich when compared to others in different parts of the world. See, materialism is a plague to which we're not immune. And materialism is widespread in our society and our culture. It's all over the place. And yes, even we as Christians, even poor Christians, can fall prey to materialism. And so as we consider this warning that James gives... We would certainly do well here to even examine our own hearts, right? Even if we don't have a lot of money, even if we're not rich and wealthy by the world standards, yet we can still fall prey to the very same temptations that tend to more easily ensnare the rich and wealthy. Well, what is it, though, specifically, that the rich here that James is addressing that they were doing? What was it that they were doing that is leading him to uh, make such a, a sharp charge of condemnation against them? Well, James lists several problem areas. And the first in verses 2 and 3, 
<clears throat> he says this, Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. In other words, they've hoarded wealth and material goods. Now, whether it comes in the form of excess food, clothing, possession, or fine metals like gold and silver, they have way more than they need. More than they could possibly use in a lifetime. And this demonstrates their lack of contentment and their greedy desire to have more and more and more. You see, their closets, their barns, their banks, their warehouses are all full. And yet, just when you think they would have enough, they seek still more. Now earlier, James had warned about making boastful plans. But again, there's nothing wrong with making wise plans for the future as long as you submit those plans to God's perfect will and His plan. And so, uh, it's wise, for example, to certainly be stocked up on food and resources in case of an emergency, to have uh, money uh, set aside and, and to plan for, for your future, the future of your children. That's wise. That's good. And we should do that. But the problem is, when you place all your trust in what you've stockpiled, or you have so much that it's going to waste, where it's rotting, it's been eaten by moths and corroded with rust, well then certainly you have way too much. And you gather possessions and wealth out of greed. See, that's the problem. When you need more and more to try to satisfy uh, an undes unsatisfactory or unsatisfiable uh, desire. Again, some think that the more they have, the more they will be secure. And the bigger their bank accounts, the bigger their stockpile of food in their cupboards, then they're going to be secure. And they put their trust in that. They put their hope in that. But what good will spoiled food and moth-eaten clothes do for you? And so here James is echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, where he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The warning is that those who have stockpiled all these things, that that's their treasure, that's where their heart is. Their hope and their trust is in their possession and wealth. Their heart is with things of this world and not with God and not thoughts of eternity. But as James points out, again, all that they've amassed for their security Right? They have all this stuff, but it's already. Right? They should know, they should look at it. It's already showing its unreliability. Right? It's quickly fading away. It's being exposed to spoil and corruption. In fact, this corruption of their goods is a testimony against them. Because all this they've accumulated, far more than they need, and it's being wasted as it sits in storage somewhere when it could have been used to benefit their neighbors who are poor and needy. And so they're falling short 
way short of God's righteous law. They may be materially rich, but they are spiritually poor. And the great warning is that they will soon go the way of their riches. Well, secondly, we note that not only are they hoarding their wealth, they are also not sharing it, not, not sharing it with those in need. In fact, they're not only just not sharing it, they're actually actively oppressing the poor and needy. Verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the city and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. See, these rich were wealthy landowners who hired people to cut their hay and harvest their crops. But the wealthy were taking advantage of their workers. They were cheating them and stealing from them by withholding their pay. Now in these days, or in the, the, t- the times when James is writing, uh, laborers, laborers were typically hired uh, a day at a time and were paid often at the end of the day. And so these laborers had worked hard all day, laboring in the hot sun, harvesting all these crops, uh, bounding them up and, and storing them, and then at the end of the day they were expecting their pay. But it never came. They were being treated like slaves rather than those who were free and who were looking to work. And this was a serious offense. In fact, the law of Moses prescribed that not only must workers be paid their due wages, but they must be paid consistently at the end of the pay period, which again at this point was at the end of the day. And so, for example, in Leviticus 19, we read this, You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him, The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. And then again in Deuteronomy 24. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. Now we may wonder, well, why, why does God care about the timing of, of pay? Right? It doesn't matter, just the, wouldn't it be just, just enough of day as long as they got paid? Why is God so concerned about the timing of their paid? Why is that important to God? Why is that important to the workers? Well, if the workers didn't get paid at the end of the day, well, they wouldn't be able to buy food for themselves or their families on their way home. You see, again, most people at the time didn't have the room or resources to uh, store up food for long periods of time. They were fully dependent on the daily wage earner to bring food home each night after they were working, to go and, and to shop in the markets and bring home what they were going to eat. And so obviously the impact was even more so the poor of the family. And of course, since the rich were hoarding all the kinds of wealth for themselves... It wasn't a matter of not having the resources necessary to meet the payroll. They had the money. They just didn't pay them. They were stealing from them. They were taking advantage of them. They were purposely defrauding their workers, stealing and endangering even their very lives. Well, thirdly, 
one of the things that they were doing, not only were they hoarding, not only were they taking advantage of their workers and stealing from them, but thirdly, we know in verse 5, James charges the rich because while their workers were struggling to make ends meet and some of their neighbors were struggling to make ends meet, they themselves were living lavish, self-indulgent lifestyles. It says, You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. They were living high on the hog, so to speak. Not only caring about their neighbor, not only uh, not, not caring about their neighbor, not caring about those who work for them, or for the poor and needy around them. They only sought to fulfill their own lustful desires. Pursuing wanton pleasures reminds us, of course, of the, the prodigal son and, and the prodigal life that he lived, where he received his inheritance and then he, he lived for himself. And he spent it all. Well, here we see the, the rich doing the same thing. They were consumed with the idolatry of self. What they didn't hoard, they spent on themselves. And again, the contrast that's being made here that James is pointing out is that they're living in this life of luxury and self-indulgence while their neighbors, and even those who worked for them, suffered greatly. Indeed, they actively covered their eyes so they wouldn't see the, the destruction that their greed and selfishness was bringing to those around them. And if they did see it, I think they must have delighted in it because they did absolutely nothing to relieve the suffering of the poor and needy. They clearly weren't loving their neighbor as themselves and they certainly weren't loving God with this kind of selfishness and sinful self-indulgence. Finally, we see that the rich here are being condemned for perverting justice and oppressing the poor even to the point of death. In verse 6, You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Again, back in chapter 2, James warned about those who took the believers to court, right? These rich ones who uh, would uh, take the believers to court. Now, the crimes that they committed, they were charged with, we don't know. But here we see the results. The believers were condemned. And some may have even been unjustly put to death. And the implication here is that the rich bribed the judges and stacked the court against the poor so that they uh, couldn't win the case. Perhaps these poor ones were those who complained about not receiving their daily wage. And in order to silence them and make an example of them, the rich perverted the system, the justice system, to work to their own purposes. Some may have even been condemned to death as a result of this. And certainly if the worker himself wasn't put to death, then as we noted, surely his life and the lives of the family members would have been greatly endangered. Because if he was not only not paid, but then just thrown in prison, unable to work, unable to support his family those dependent on him then would suffer hunger and sickness and even death. And again, this is, is held in contrast to the great abundance that was just there in these huge uh, storehouses just rotting away 
the storehouses of the rich. And so it's a very severe injustice. And so powerless were those who were oppressed that they could do nothing to resist. No one was intervening for them. No one was speaking up for them or defending them as their neighbors should have. And so these are the sins that James is charging these rich with. Hoarding, oppressing the poor, self-indulgent living, and perverting justice to advance the further pursuit of their own wealth. And James sternly warns them here. But you may wonder, well, especially if they're outside the church, why, why would they listen? Because as James condemns them for their sins, he wants them not only to, uh, to warn them of the folly of their behavior, but also of the judgment that is surely coming upon them. First he warns that while they're stocking up on wealth and hoarding all their riches, he says in verse 3, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. Remember Jesus had warned people about storing up treasures on earth for themselves. Because the end would come and all that they have stored up would be lost. But then as they're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, they would have nothing. James makes it seem, though, here, as though the end is even more imminent than what Jesus was talking about. That is, it is the last days, even now. There is no time to be hoarding wealth. The end will soon come and all that you've accumulated will certainly be lost. And so instead of hoarding your wealth and and letting it go to waste, you could have been using it to minister to those in need, investing in it in people's lives to the glory of God. Instead, you've been scrolling it away and it's already seeing corruption, making it useless to everyone. And look, now the end is here. That's James' warning. Now it's true that James wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit nearly 2,000 years ago. And the end still hasn't arrived. But friends, we are still in the last days. The time for the end is drawing nearer, and in fact, it is even closer than it was in James' day. Remember that with, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. And so the two thousand years to the Lord is nothing. It's two days in a figurative sense. And so the challenge is this. How are you using your wealth and your resources? Are you just sitting on it as it wastes away or... You stockpiling it and, and trusting in it and, and seeking it for your security and your hope for the future? Or are you investing it and using it in ways that glorify God? Are you using it to minister to the poor and needy neighbors around you? Are you using it to invest in the, the furtherance of the gospel? Certainly these are things that are worth considering. Secondly, the rich should take heed to this warning because the Lord has truly heard the cry 
of those who are oppressed. In fact, as James noted in verse 4, even the unpaid wages cry out regarding the injustice that is being done. And he says the wages cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And this crying out is reminiscent of the cry of God's people when they were in slavery back in Egypt. Speaking to Moses from the burning bush, the Lord says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. The Lord heard their cry. He saw their suffering and affliction. Filled with compassion, He was moved to action to save and deliver them. And note how James here affirms that the Lord will do the very same thing. And He affirms the power and the authority of the Lord who hears the cries of the poor needy, calling Him the Lord of Sabaoth, that is the Lord of armies, a, a Lord of great might and power. It is the sovereign Lord God, the God of all power and might who's heard the cries of the oppressed. And the great challenge here that is, if this is the one who's heard their cries, if this is the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of power and might, if He's the one who's going to come to the aid of the poor, well then the rich had better tremble in great fear. Because they're not going to be able to withstand His hand of justice. All their wealth, all that they have amassed, everything that they have stored up for themselves and that they put their trust in will be nothing before the power and the might of the God, the Creator of the universe. And so this is a warning to them. Well, this then leads to the final reason that they should listen. Not only is the end near, not only has the Lord Almighty heard the cries of His people, but especially the day of judgment is quickly coming. It's coming. But the rich oppressors are so enamored with their love of self and their love of money that they're oblivious to the end that they will soon meet. Again, verse 5, You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. And the image is, is quite graphic. It's like a, it's like a pig or a, or a, um, a cattle that, that's completely unaware of what's in store for them. The slaughterhouse, while they're eagerly eating all that's placed in front of them. That's all they can think about. And in the same way, uh, the rich voraciously fill their hearts with their sinful pleasures and indulgences that their wealth affords as judgment approaches. They're oblivious to it. Not only are they unaware, though, but they're only further fattening themselves up for the judgment. That is, they're only adding to their sin and their guilt before God. They not only refuse to help their neighbor, but again, they actively are oppressing them. Such injustice, we know that God will surely call to account on the last great day. 
And so again, the comfort for the oppressed and the righteous is that our suffering at the hands of the rich will not go on forever. That God has truly heard their cries and He will come to deliver them and judge those who oppress them. And that promise is true for us as well. That anyone who would oppress us, God will judge them. We trust in God's judgment. We trust in His mercy and His compassion toward the poor and the needy. And again, as we noted, James makes this charge without a direct call to repentance. In the coming judgment, those who misuse their wealth and oppress the poor will surely be judged. That's, that's it. They're going to be judged. But, as we well know, and this is part of why James is issuing this, this harsh condemnation and this warning, the end, the day of judgment, has not yet come. If these oppressors would even now hear these words, if they would even now turn from their sin and seek God's grace and mercy for forgiveness, there may still be hope for them. And friends, this is true even for those who may not be rich, even for us. For those who who may have very little and yet in our hearts have a a love for money and wealth. For those who pursue self-indulgence instead of ministering to the poor and needy. This is true for those who neglect to love their neighbor as themselves. There is still hope. Even for these. Even for us. Yes, we are in the last days. But you see, the last hour hasn't yet come. There is still hope. But friends, our only hope, the only sure and certain hope, the only treasure that will never, ever pass away is the hope and the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Truly, as you hear these warnings, I don't know what everybody has in their bank accounts, whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter because the warning is the same. Don't put your trust in wealth and possessions. Don't put your trust in the things of this world. Put your trust alone in the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that He has secured for you. And be diligent to use all that He has given to you, whether it's a little or a lot. But be diligent to use what He has given to you. To love your neighbors. To serve those who are poor and needy. To serve the Lord. And to give glory to Him in all things. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for Your Word and the comfort that it is for us. And the challenge even here. And Lord, certainly we are not rich by any standards of the world and yet we know that we true we we can because of the sinful nature of our hearts the remnant of the sin that remains in us 
we can fall prey to the love of money. We can fall prey to trusting in our riches and our wealth and our possessions, our power and our might, our influence, whatever it may be. These things of the world that quickly pass away, where moth and rust destroy and corrupt. And so we praise you and thank you for this warning, for this reminder to us. And that we must ultimately always look to Christ. And Lord, we, we are greatly humbled to consider the rich and glorious treasure that you have so wonderfully blessed us with in Christ Jesus, our Savior, your own beloved Son. This was, the, this was your eternally begotten Son and you, you sent Him on this mission to be tempted and tried <clears throat> in all ways that we are coming into this world of sin and suffering and affliction. That He endured all these things yet without sin. Then He endured, endured the punishment that we deserve for our sins. That horrible death on the cross the scourging, the, the mocking, the abuse, the pain, the agony that He endured on that day. And yet you heard His cries for help. And you delivered Him from the grave on the third day. And rose him, raised Him up in power and glory. Securing for us our salvation. Securing for us this glorious eternal treasure that is now ours as we look upon Him in faith and as we call upon Your name and trust in You. And that You bless us richly and abundantly beyond what we could ever possibly imagine in this life. Even if we have very little by the world standards, You have given us so much that cannot pass away and cannot be taken away by this world. And you have especially given us eternal riches that we can't even begin to imagine. Father, we rejoice and give thanks for these blessings. Why would we ever be so foolish to trust in our, the wealth and the riches of this world when you have given us Christ Jesus, your Son? Father, we pray that your spirit would truly impress this truth upon our hearts and that you would truly draw us closer to yourself. All for your glory, honor, and praise. In his name we pray. Amen.